revenues totally fell off a cliff. I think for us, if Facebook shut down tomorrow, we would be fine because it's about building building the relationship with customers and the enthusiasm of the customer base who refer Troubadour to their friends and their colleagues. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Shopify Masters, the podcast powered by Shopify, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm your host, Felix Tia. Have you ever wanted the perfect overnight bag, something that can be used for work and the great outdoors? That's what friends Samuel Bale and Abel Samet wanted to find but couldn't. So they set off on an 18-month search in Europe for artisans, leather tanners, zipper makers to make the perfect bag. At the end of their search in 2011, they launched Troubadour. Abel Samet is here to chat about finding the ideal manufacturers and building a seven-figure business with purpose. Abel, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Excited to be here. Tell us more about your design principles that went into making your top-selling bags. You like the functionality of outdoors bags and the look of professional ones. How did you combine the two? First off, thanks for having me. I listened to a few of the podcasts before coming on, and I'm definitely a fan now. So excited to be here. So Samuel and I, before starting Troubadour, both worked together professionally in London. Samuel's Canadian. I'm American, as you can tell by the accent. And so there was a lot that we were learning and really liked about bag space, bag manufacturing, and specifically what was going on in Europe while we were there. Both of us are pretty outdoorsy people. And so as you said, there were things that we really liked about our outdoors bags. So how light they were, how comfortable they were, the fact that these bags were really designed around the human spine, how they're going to be worn, how they're going to be used. And then the two of us traveled a lot for work and felt like the bags that we we had for work and when we looked to buy other bags for work, the, the bags we were seeing were heavy, were clunky. They could have been made 40 years ago. They weren't using any type of modern materials, anything performance related. And we learned later they were really designed around what the manufacturing process is as opposed to being designed around how to make them more enjoyable and better to use. And so we said, can we bring some of these things that we love about our outdoors bags? So lightweight, waterproof materials, really functional in the way the pockets are designed, electromolded back panels so that the back of the bag is much more comfortable on your back, S-shaped memory foam straps, and a lot of these detailed elements, can we bring those into bags that are work appropriate that you can use in the work and on the weekends and are really a lot more enjoyable to use? So that, that was the start of Troubadour for us almost 10 years ago now. So one of the fears that new business owners have is validating if there's enough demand for their products before they dive in. You and Samuel were making this ideal bag for yourselves, but how did you figure out that this is something that other people wanted? So for us, the, the journey really started with creating bags for ourselves, and it wasn't originally about trying to create a bag business for, for others. And so that 18-month journey that you mentioned, that was you know our trips on the weekends to Italy, Spain, France, around the UK, meeting different experts in this space to create bags we wanted for ourselves. As we did that, at the time we were mostly focused on men's bags, other guys in the office said, you know, I'm pretty interested in what you guys are doing. Can I get one of the bags? Can I get one of the weekenders? And so we started putting together a, a list of people who were going to also buy the bags at the same time that we were making them. And minimum order quantities in Italy where we we're going to make them are pretty low. So we, we sort of said, well, we're not too far away from 30 units, which is the MOQ for that factory at the time. And so maybe we'll just do a friends and family event. We'll do one in London, one in New York. If we hit 30, everybody gets a better price in their bag and you know we're done. That was the original idea. We did those events and a friend of a friend who's a writer for the Wall Street Journal came to the New York event. And I didn't even realize he was there at the time and didn't know that he was going to write up an article about it. But we got put in the Wall Street Journal after this friends and family event. And all of a sudden, people who 
we'd never met before are going to this website we set up to take credit card payments from friends on Shopify. And we were just getting order after order after order. And we said, you know, maybe there's something here that, that's bigger than we thought originally. And, and so that was a little bit of a validation out of the gate that we wasn't part of the plan, but was, was really helpful. Yeah, I love that how you started off making these bags for yourself and kind of stumbled into a seven-figure business, starting with the 30-bag minimum order quantity. And it's kind of picked up momentum where it was going, whether you guys were ready to hop on this train or not. So when you realized that this is going and we can take this seriously, what was the next step? It definitely was more more dead ends than than highways uh, along the path. And, and I think that ended up not being as easy as we thought it might be you know, out of the gate, which long-term is pretty healthy. But I mean, for us, the next step was beginning to build a, a really great team, really focusing on design and where we wanted to go with product and continue improving what we we're doing. Those original events for us were happened all the way back in 2013. You know, since then, we went from being an all leather business focused mainly on men to now 90% of what we sell are, are fabric bags. We have a really nice men's and women's businesses that balance each other. And then continuing the focus on product development really pushing what we do both from a product perspective and a supply chain perspective in a way that's more sustainable. We became a B Corp last year, which is sort of a nice experience in itself and continuing to, to improve what we do with each product itself and then with our assortment overall. Yeah. So as you were going through the, the journey through Europe, I'm assuming you went through multiple times trying to find the right manufacturers. What exactly were you looking for before you felt happy about the manufacturers or the, the bags that were being created for you to actually launch this business beyond just friends and family? We have our major production runs roughly every six months. And I think each of those is an opportunity for revision and improvement, both with the products and with supply chain. No bag is ever done. No supply chain is ever done. It's hard to pick sort of one point at which we were sort of satisfied because I'm not sure that we've, we've gotten to a point where we're totally satisfied yet. We're very focused on supply chain sustainability, using leathers and fabrics and components that are recycled and creating bags that are able to then be recycled more easily at end of life. So trying to remove things like polyurethane, PU, which is a very easy material to work with, melt at low temperatures. It's in a lot of products and a lot of components of products, but it's very hard to recycle. So how do we take polyurethane out of our products as much as possible? And so that, you know, that's one of the challenges we're currently wrestling with. And you know, it's a focus for us today. It's going to continue to be a focus for us on how do we further sustainability and continue to make products better. Yeah. So every six months, you're kicking off this product development process and the products are evolving. And it sounds like you're always looking to improve the product with each iteration. How do you decide what is the next big thing for you to tackle in the next product development process? A few ways we do that. One major one for us is making the improvement process really a more holistic team discussion. And so instead of just having a design team that's designing whatever the next season's bag is, it's bringing in our store sales team into the conversation, bringing in our uh, online customer service team into the conversation, our repairs team into the conversation, so that we're talking collectively about what are any pain points customers are having, what are customers asking about, what are things that are breaking so we can make sure that we design around that and design any points of potential failure out of the bags themselves. And then a lot is led by our design team also in looking at how can we incorporate new components, new materials. I think there's a lot of really interesting things happening, both from a performance perspective and a sustainability perspective in supply chains right now. And, and we really try to make sure that we are going to trade shows and, and speaking to the right people to learn about what's at the forefront of that. In some cases, driving it forward ourselves and we're very clear on what we want 
and we want to work with suppliers who can help us get there. Yeah, I like this holistic approach of getting the, the feedback and it's not just kind of top down deciding what to design next. What are some what are some surprising places that you have gotten feedback that led to changes in the, the product design? So great feedback can come from from anywhere. I think there's qualitative feedback and quantitative feedback. And so making sure that we are tracking data to understand if there are certain styles that either have a higher return rate based on expectation or a greater likelihood of, of breaking. You know, I think the most common point of failure on bags is zippers. And so making sure we're using quantitative data to understand over time, which of our zipper suppliers are making zippers that really wear better and last longer so that we can lean into working with those ones more than others. And so, so I think, I think there's often a lot of discussion of big data and analytics as part of design. I, I think it can be tricky to do, but that's one area where we've really found it, it very useful. Another one that's just a huge source of feedback and tends to be more qualitative, but are a number of our customers who are super enthusiastic about our brand, super passionate about what we're doing. And it's always really, really rewarding to have conversations with them and learn pretty specifically things that they really like, which they're pretty clear on, and things that they that they wish were different. And most people are pretty willing to give you feedback and be pretty direct about it. And so as long as we're willing to sit there and listen, you know, we can really pick up some great insights. So excited to hear more from you, Abel. We'll be right back after this message from Shopify. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or in the middle of scaling one, we know that building a business can be lonely at times. To bring fellow founders together, we've launched our merch store, Shopify Supply. From hoodies to socks, you can represent your hustle spirit. Check it out at shopify.supply. That's shopify.supply. And use the code PODCAST for 10% off your complete order, and you'll get free shipping within North America too. Happy shopping! I'm talking to Abel Samet, co-founder of Troubadour. They sell environmentally friendly bags that combine performance, elegant design, and functionality. Tell us more about your relationship with your suppliers, especially how are you able to develop the relationship during a time where you saw that the industry was stagnating? Sure, the time you're referring to is COVID, which has not been kind to the bag business. So you know, people use our products to commute and to travel. And when COVID happened, it was very clear people were going to be commuting and traveling a lot less. And different brands in our space reacted differently to that. We're always seeking to work with the top factories and suppliers that we're able to. And that's common for a lot of brands. And in a normal time, there's a lot of competition for design time and time from the sampling rooms of those top factories. One thing that was pretty clear to us in early COVID was that a lot of the other brands that normally are trying to get that sampling room time from these factories were cutting back massively, either not developing anything new, they were cutting marketing, they were cutting across their own team, cutting across suppliers. And there was a real open capacity from some of the best sampling rooms and some of the best factories in the world to be doing product development. We knew the world was changing, but we also had a real belief that if we were going to continue, if we continued to develop and, and create what we think are some of the most exciting bags out there, that there's going to be a market for them. And so while most were cutting back, we really accelerated our product development during COVID. We weren't super focused on revenue numbers in Q2 2020 or Q3 2020. And so we spent most of our time saying, given the extra capacity in this, some of the best product development people in the world, how can we use their time to develop? And we, we really focused on sort of eight to 10 new styles that we were going to be super excited about that we're going to launch in 2021 and 2022. And we were hard at work with our with our supply chain and with a lot of these folks in the middle of the pandemic, which is a we couldn't be in person with them the way we normally are, but just huge development because of the ability of, of our team and their teams to focus. 
Yeah, so you eventually created eight new styles, and you had the resources to to do it given the, the the circumstances. But how were you able to iterate and create new styles so quickly? How were you able to get the feedback and just know what to be releasing so quickly? I think it's a good question. There's probably not one answer. At that point in 2020, we had been developing and selling different styles for seven or eight years. So we had a good amount of feedback. We had a good sense on where we wanted to be in terms of product functionality, product shape, and what we were looking for. The nuts and bolts of it, it's time on Zoom, it's time on WhatsApp or WeChat, it's sending samples back and forth and seeing the product itself in your hands, working through it, making changes. It's a bit of an iterative process, which obviously those iterations can happen a bit faster when you're there in person with a factory. But it's still, I think when you're working with super talented people, it's a process that you can still make effective and, and, and really positive, even in remote setting. Yeah, I want to move on to the sales and the marketing of the business early on. Like like we mentioned before, you had these kind of events where you had the friends and family that were buying these bags. What were some of the early ways that you were able to sell the bags to complete strangers, people that, that did not know you, did not know about you? Our number one way that we acquire new customers is through word of mouth and referral. You know, consistently feedback since the very early days of Troubadour. The number one way that, that we've really grown is with how enthusiastic our customers are and journalists who get exposure to the brand, carry our bags, and really understand the, the difference and the, the product improvement. Our focus on growth has always been around great product, great design, and great customer service. I think there are a number of brands out there that have very focused on performance marketing, advertising. That's never been the key driver for us. It's a little bit of a slower path <laughs> to not use that as a crutch, but I think at the same time, you see examples of COVID as we we're talking about. A number of brands cut back their performance marketing spend during COVID and, and their revenues totally fell off a cliff. I think for us, if Facebook shut down tomorrow, we would be fine because it's it's about building building the relationship with customers and building the, the enthusiasm of the customer base who refer Troubadour to their friends and their colleagues. Yeah, building a seven-figure business through a mainly organic word of mouth is a great feat and it takes a while to pay off, as you had mentioned. What are some ways that you've been able to either accelerate this word of mouth either early on or even today? How do you encourage more this kind of word of mouth marketing? There's an element to where it's advantageous to be in the product category that we're in. People do tend to, not everyone, but many people really do geek out about bags. And we're bag geeks. And the difference between the bag you use every day being a bag that you feel, nah, it's okay. And a bag that you say, this this is the best bag I've ever had, leads people to be pretty enthusiastic. So to some extent, I think maybe it's a product category thing. You know, I think we certainly try to use email marketing and you know, be accessible to customers in a way that that people feel a deeper connection. You know, I think there are emails as part of our flows that come directly from me as one of the founders that if you reply to, that email comes to me. Make your first order and make your third order with us. And those emails are coming from my email. And if you reply, you know, you get to me directly. And that really do set us apart from maybe some other folks that don't have such a personalized approach. Another sales channel for you has been partnerships with other stores, hotels, and gyms. How did you form these relationships? Coming into the pandemic, our business was roughly 50-50 wholesale direct. And we had about 60 wholesale partners, ranging from Harrods, Harvey Nichols, Liberty in the UK, to Nordstrom, Saks in the US, and then some non-traditional retail partners. So Equinox is a great partner for us, Four Seasons Hotels, and other sort of more non-traditional retail. And I think that's often a great way for customers to discover Troubadour. We find the sales staff in most of these stores get really excited about Troubadour when we come in, and they are great ambassadors for us with new customers. That combination of wholesale and direct has been a really healthy part of 
how we've grown our mix over the years. So now these people that work at these hotels and gyms are essentially your sales associates. How do you make sure they know how to showcase the benefits and the quality of your bags? Yeah, so we certainly want to make sure we're communicating as clearly as possible what goes into the bags, how to take care of them, and being accessible as a resource, our team, to customers, but also to all the sales associates who, who work with us. So often that's going in and doing training in person at the stores that we're able to. I've been able to take trips down to our stores in Australia, which has been fun, and or stores in Europe or America or Canada. Sometimes we're not able to get to every store and there's a decent turnover of sales staff anyway. So it's important to how do you educate new sales staff when they come in and Trubador is one of the brands that they're selling. And so we have a few ways we can do that. Sometimes it can be Zoom calls in person, but it's also making sure resources are available where if they have questions, they can look it up or videos on our site or videos that are accessible to retail sales staff where they can see us walk through a bag, talk about some of the things we love about a bag and so that they can get more familiar with it and feel comfortable sharing that with with customers that come into the store. And you also have your own flagship physical retail store that opened in London. What made you decide to venture out and, and open up your own store? So we signed the lease on our London store at the absolute height of the pandemic uh, when it looked like retail was never going to come back. We were able to get a great deal on a space that was in our absolute top choice neighborhood of London, which is Soho in central London. It felt like a very scary decision at a time to be committing to a permanent retail space. This was not a pop-up. This was a permanent deal, which the landlord wanted a long-term deal on a retail space. And our view was the opportunity to have our own physical space to share the world of Troubadour with customers directly in our own space was going to be a really exciting opportunity for us, for customers, and for our ability to increase the speed of our flywheel and learning more customer feedback, getting more talented folks on our team involved with talking to customers, sharing our products with customers. And it's been really a phenomenal learning experience to date with that store. It's been open almost a full year now. We opened in July of 2021. Are there any kind of learnings that are that can only come out of having your own physical retail store that have made a big impact on the direction of the business? I think there's a number of things that we've learned having a store that we would not have learned or at least not have learned as quickly if we hadn't had a store. Some of those are how to run a store well and if we're going to open subsequent stores, the importance of window displays, the importance of hiring and training staff, the way to structure the assortment in the store. I think those are all things that we've learned that impact the way we we run our store and the way we run future stores. But there's a lot of feedback and knowledge and information we get that help to make our products better, help to make our product assortment better, the way we communicate it better. I think we communicate things better online because we are more close to customers coming in, asking questions. You know, I went to your website and I still don't understand X about this bag. You know, is there a pocket on this side or is there not a pocket there? So sometimes it's really small tactical. Sometimes it's, I still can't understand what your shipping policy is to such and such a place. And that helps us to make our website better, to make our communication with customers better in a number of different ways. Since opening your retail store, you've incorporated the Shopify point of sale system. Tell us about that experience. Big fan of Shopify point of sale. And I've recommended it to a few other entrepreneurs who are also opening their own business. And the integration of the website and Shopify POS has been great, both for sort of understanding a customer and giving that customer a more seamless experience with us as a brand. I think integrating that in with things like email flows, integrating it in with just our ability to provide a customer with customer service and having a more personalized experience with a customer because they're in our Shopify database. You know, they've bought from us before. Now they're coming into the store. We can look up their past order. It just advances the conversation with the customer several steps as soon as they walk in and, and it's been really helpful. And so I, I'm certainly a big Shopify POS fan. It's made it easier to open 
Open physical store for us. I'm talking to Abel Samet, co-founder of Troubadour. They sell environmentally friendly bags that combine performance, elegant design, and functionality. You mentioned earlier that Troubadour is a B Corp certified company. What does that mean? B Corp is a nonprofit organization really founded around the idea of using business as a force for good in the world. There's a lot that's great about capitalism, and capitalism has raised hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. I think there are some darker sides to capitalism if we're not careful. And B Corp is really focused around looking at the holistic impact of a business and focused on what are the impacts of a business on all stakeholders. So not just shareholders, but on employees, on customers, on the planet, on society. And the B Corp process is a very fairly rigorous audit process of the business and of not just auditing the financials, but auditing the impact that the business has, which is a great experience. And so you, you learn a lot about the business. You learn where you're stronger than you thought you were. You learn where there are gaps that you hadn't realized. And ultimately, you get certified with a number out of, I don't know what the max is, but if, if you're over 80, that is certification to be a, a B Corp. And then you get re-rated, I believe it's annually. So you can understand if you're trending in a good direction, in a, in a weakening direction, and making sure that what we're actually doing aligns with the vision for what we want to be. So it sounds like it's not just a one-time stamp and you're good for the rest of your life. It sounds like there's a process of maintaining it. Do you have any systems or any processes in place to make sure that you keep your certification? Understanding why we were certified the way we were and why our rating was so high is important. We're not certified for the sake of being certified. You know, we're certified for the sake of making sure that we are really having a positive impact on the world. And so to the extent that we're able to do things that have continue to further that positive impact, whether it's the environment, whether it's things with our team, things with wider society, those continue to be a focus for us. I think knowing that the audit is going to happen regularly is helpful. It's helpful to make sure that the things that we're doing that we want to have a positive impact really are. And I think there's a, there's a lot of talk about sustainability in the world some of which is backed up, some of which is not. I think it's really important that we back up anything we're saying and having a audit process and a certification of something that's you know, an independent nonprofit focused on this for the right reasons. That's the kind of sustainability that we really want to be focused with. And your specific approach to sustainability is what you call circularity. Can you say more about what that means? The idea of circularity is really trying to keep products out of landfill at end of life. So currently, even some of the most sustainable products in the world, sustainably sourced, end up in landfill at the end of life. And so often there's a downgrading in the recycling process. So you know, plastic is virgin plastic often used in water bottles. Maybe the water bottles are recycled into fabric used on the bag. After that, often it's not recycled, but if it is recycled, it gets downgraded again and maybe used in something like cushion on a car or a really low grade use of the material before it ends up ultimately in landfill. What we're really focused on with circularity is how do we create products that can be recycled without that downgrading process? And so what we want to be able to do is create bags from recycled materials that at the end of life can be fully recycled into recycled materials of a similar quality, such that it's not on this downgrading path to landfill. The way we really do that, I mentioned PU before, polyurethane, but you really need to take polyurethane out of all of these different elements of the bag. Yes, it's easier to work with, but there are things that can be used instead of polyurethane. So by using polyester in different components of the bags instead of what's traditionally used, it means that the bags can be recycled and be made circular such that at the end of life, a bag that's totally beat up and worn can be recycled into a completely new bag. Awesome. So looking forward, you have exciting news about acquisition. Tell us more about that. We are still a relatively young company. And so we have not done a whole lot in this space historically. 
However, we, we have been approached uh, semi-regularly by different brands about acquisition or working together. We've never done it in the past until now. So there's a, a phone case and tech accessories brand called Mujo, founded by three Dutch entrepreneurs that we've been fans of for a long time. Their phone cases were rated by Wirecutter in 2018 as, as top choice, and they were really innovative on the product front, being one of the first ones to introduce pockets on phones, really being cutting edge in the way that they used leather to create leather phone cases. And they approached us about if we would be interested in acquiring them and, and their business. And after speaking with the team and getting deeper into who they are, what their focus is, and their real commitment to product, there was a real clear alignment with who we are. I think both teams being very focused on creating best-in-class product and growing because customers are so passionate about the products that we make. And so Trooper is going to be acquiring Mujo. Both brands are going to continue going forward and are going to be really supportive of one another in, in a whole bunch of ways that we're really excited about. Very exciting news. Thank you so much for joining me today, Abel, co-founder of Troubadour. They sell environmentally friendly bags that combine performance, elegant design, and functionality. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Felix. Really enjoyed being on the podcast. And that's all the time we have this week. Come hang out with us next time on Shopify Masters. Again, I'm Felix Tia. Take care. <laughs>